Morning, good morning. Glad to see everyone here today as we continue our series of lessons entitled The Circle Maker. Glad to see each of you here today. So thankful for Sophia and the work that she's doing. I will definitely be adding you to my prayers on a consistent, regular basis. And that's the kind of service that I hope that we can all get to in our lives. And if we can't go ourselves, that we can send others. And if we can't uh, send others, then we do whatever we can through prayer and everything else that we can in that regard. Uh, so we're talking about persistence today, uh, the persistence in prayer. And I want to start by kind of telling you a story that I find amazingly intriguing. In standardized math tests, Japanese children consistently scored higher than their American counterparts. And while some people would assume that a natural proclivity toward mathematics is the primary difference, researchers have discovered that that might not be the case, that in fact it might have to do more with effort than ability. In one study involving first graders, students were given a very difficult puzzle to solve. Now, the, re the researchers weren't interested in whether or not the kids could even finish the puzzle, solve the puzzle. They simply wanted to see how long would the children try before they gave up. The American children lasted, on average, 9.47 minutes. The Japanese children lasted 13.93 minutes. In other words, the Japanese children tried 47% longer. Is it any wonder why they score higher on math exams? Researchers concluded that the difference in math scores might have less to do with intelligence quotient, your IQ, and have a whole lot more to do with persistence, or the persistence quotient. The Japanese first graders simply tried harder. And I think this study explains the difference in standardized math scores, but it also has some implications that are true no matter what area we might turn. It doesn't matter whether it's athletics or academics, whether it's music or math, there seem to be no shortcuts, there are no substitutes. Success is a derivative of persistence. More than a decade ago, there was a guy named Anders Ericsson and his colleagues at Berlin's Elite Academy of Music, and they too did a study with musicians. And with the help of professors, they divided violinists into three groups, world-class soloists, good violinists, and those who were unlikely to play, play professionally. And all of them started playing around roughly the same age, and they practiced roughly amount, about the same amount of time until they reached the age of eight. And that is when their practice habits began to diverge. Researchers found that by the age of 20, the average player had logged about 4,000 hours of practice time. The good violinist totaled about 8,000 hours, and the elite performers set the standard with 10,000 hours. Now, there is no denying the innate ability that we have can dictate some of our upside potential, but that potential is only tapped into via persistent effort. And persistence seems to be the magic bullet, and the magic number seems to be about 10,000. And so the emerging picture that we get from all of these different studies is that it takes 10,000 hours of practice to achieve mastery in any kind of thing whatsoever. Neurologist Daniel Levitin said it this way, in study after study of composers, basketball players, fiction writers, ice skaters, concert pianists, chess players, master criminals, and what have you, 
This number comes up again and again. No one has yet found a case in which true world-class expertise was accomplished in less time. It seems that it takes the brain that long to assimilate all that it needs to achieve true mastery. Now, why do I tell you all of that to get started with this lesson on prayer? Because I don't think prayer is any different. I don't think prayer is any different. Prayer is a habit to be cultivated. It is a discipline to be developed. It is a skill to be practiced. Now, I don't want to reduce praying hard to time logged as if it's some kind of checklist that we do. But if you want to achieve mastery, it's going to take you 10,000 hours. And this I know for sure. The bigger the dream, the harder that you and I are going to pray. I want to turn your attention to Luke chapter 18 because it's here that we give uh, we're given a, an example of someone who is amazingly persistent in her prayers and the results of what happens because of her persistence. Let's read together Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Here's what the text says to us. It says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city, city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. The parable of the persistent widow, I think, is one of the most interesting pictures of prayer that we have in the entire Scripture. It shows us what praying hard looks like. It shows us that we knock, our, knock until our knuckles are raw, and that we cry out until our voice is lost, that we plead until our tears run dry. Praying hard is praying through. And remember that praying through includes, includes consistency and intensity. And if you pray through, I'm convinced that God is going to come through. The phrase used to describe the widow's persistence there in verse 5, I love. She is beating me down. She is wearing me out, some versions say. It's boxing terminology that we're given here in Luke chapter 18. Uh, and that's what prayer is. Prayer is like a, a heavyweight bout where we're going 12 rounds with God, if you will. It, it's, it's a heavyweight bout with the Almighty, and it can be excruciating, and it can be exhausting, but that's how the greatest prayer victories are won. And praying hard is more than words. It's blood, it's sweat, it's teared, tears, and praying hard is often two-dimensional. And here's what I mean by that. Praying hard is praying like it depends on God and working as if it depends on you. It's two-dimensional, praying like it depends on God and working like it depends on you. It's praying until God answers no matter how long it takes. It's doing whatever it takes to show God that you're serious. That's what persistence in prayer looks like. Because desperate times call for desperate measures. And there is no more desperate act than praying hard. You see, there comes a moment when you and I just need to throw caution to the wind and draw a circle in the sand. There comes a moment when you and I are just going to need to defy protocol, to drop to our knees and pray for the impossible. There comes a moment when you're going to need to muster every ounce of faith you have and call down rain from heaven. For the persistent widow, that was, this was her moment. Now, I don't know what she was facing. I don't know what injustice she was dealing with. But we do know that the persistent widow would not take no 
for an answer. That's what made her a circle maker. That's what made her so special. Maybe her son was falsely imprisoned for a crime he didn't commit. Maybe the man who molested her daughter was still on the streets. Whatever it was, and we don't know, the judge knew that she would never give up. Give up. The judge knew she would circle his house until the day she died if she didn't get justice. The judge knew that there was no quit in this persistent widow. And my question is, does the judge know that about you? Does the judge know that about you? How desperate are you for answered prayer? Desperate enough to pray through the light, through the night? How many times are you willing to circle the promise until the day you die? How long and loud are you willing to knock on the door of opportunity until you knock it down? Does the judge know that about you? Because if you aren't desperate, you won't take desperate measures. And if you don't pray like it depends on God, then the biggest miracles and the best, best promises are going to remain completely outside of your reach. But if you learn how to pray hard like the persistent widow, I believe God will honor your bold prayers because bold prayers, as we said in week one, honor God. And that's what we read. Remember 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And so like the Honai, the circle maker that we talked about in week one, the persistent widow's methodology, methodology was very, very unorthodox. She could have, and technically should have, waited for her court date, going to the, to the personal residence of the judge, crossed a professional line, to put it mildly. I'm surprised that the judge didn't issue some kind of restraining order against her, but he doesn't do that. And what this reveals to us is something about the nature of God. And I want you to hear me today. This tells us something about the nature of God. It tells us God could care less about protocol. He could care less about protocol. If he did, he would have chosen the Pharisees as his, as his disciples. But that's not who he chose. That's not who Jesus honored. No, Jesus honors the prostitute who crashes a party at the Pharisee's home to anoint his feet. Jesus honors a tax collector who climbed a tree in a three-piece suit just to get a glimpse of Jesus. Jesus honors the, the four friends who cut a hole in a roof to let their friend down to be in his presence. And in this parable, Jesus honored the woman who drove a judge crazy because she would not stop knocking. The common denominator in each of these stories is holy desperation. People took desperate measures to get to God, and God honored them for it. And nothing, hear me now, nothing has changed. God is still honoring spiritual desperados who crash parties and climb trees. God is still honoring those who defy protocol with their bold prayers. And God is still honoring those who pray with audacity and who pray with tenacity. And the persistent widow is selected as the gold standard when it comes to praying hard. Her persistence, her unrelenting persistence was the only difference between justice and injustice. And I'm wondering if, if that's us. Is that us? Our prayers are not contingent. Listen to me now. Our prayers are not contingent upon saying the right things in the right ways. It's not about scrambling or scrabbling the 26 letters of the English alphabet into the right combination into some kind of magic formula that God has to answer. Do you understand that God already knows the last punctuation mark before we pronounce the first syllable? 
Do you know that about our God? He already knows, and so the viability of our prayers has more to do with our intensity than it does with our vocabulary. And this is modeled by the Holy Spirit Himself who has been intensely and unceasingly interceding in your life, your entire life. You see, long before you woke up this morning and long after you go, go to sleep tonight, the Spirit of God will be circling you with songs of deliverance. He will be circling you, and He has been circling you since the day you were conceived, and He will circle you until the day you die. He's praying hard for you with ultrasonic groans that cannot be formulated into words, and those unutterable interest, intercessions should fill you with an unspeakable confidence. Remember Romans chapter 8 and verse 26 to remember what the text says to us? Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You see, God isn't just for you in some passive sense. God is for you in the most active sense imaginable. The Holy Spirit is praying hard for you, and when you combine with Him, when you combine and tag team with Him, that is when the movement of God can happen. That's when the miracles of God can happen. We had one of those miracles happen right here in this church not too long ago. I don't know how many of you remember a young Marine named Jason Shipton. Jason was diagnosed with stage 4 brain cancer. And I remember that day. I remember of driving with him and his wife to San Diego to visit the doctors. And I remember being there with him the day he got the news that, that it wasn't good and it didn't look good. Stage four. There's not a higher stage than that, but death. And I remember sitting right back there in that room, or right in that area, right behind Chuck. And we, we prayed and we prayed and we boldly called on the name of God. And I am so thankful to be able to pull up Facebook and to see Jason and his family and to see him be cancer-free and to see him moving and loving his family and doing incredible things. It's, it's amazing what God can do when we pour out our hearts and our lives to Him. Several centuries before the drought that Honai the circle maker had to pray against, there was another drought that threatened uh, to destroy Israel. This one came from God. For three years, three long years, there was no puddle jumping in Israel. There was no rain that had come. And then the Lord promised Elijah that he would send rain. But like every promise, Elijah still had to circle that promise via persistent prayer. And so Elijah climbs to the top of Mount Carmel. Go with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. Listen to this. He goes to the top of Mount Carmel. He falls on his face. And here's what happens next. Listen, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41. Don't miss this. 1 Kings 18, 41. 
It says, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a rushing of rain. And so Ahab went up to eat and to drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. And at the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariots and go down lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. I love this story in 1 Kings 18. Six times he tells the servants, go look toward the sea. Is there anything changing? Is there anything different? But there was no sign of rain. And that's when most of us stop. It's when we give up. We stop praying because we can't see any tangible difference with our natural eyes. We allow our circumstances to get between God and us instead of putting God between us and our circumstances. Like Honai who would not move from his circle until God sent rain. Elijah held his holy ground too. He stood on the promise that God had given him. And I think Elijah would have prayed 10,000 times if that's what it took. But between the sixth and seventh prayer, there was a subtle shift in the atmospheric pressure. And after the seventh circle, Elijah's nearsighted servant strained his eyes and he saw a small cloud the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. And I can't help but ask this question, what would have happened if Elijah would have stopped praying after the sixth time? What would have happened? I believe the obvious answer is that he would have defaulted on the promise and he would have forfeited the miracle. But Elijah prayed through and God came through and the sky turned black and heavy winds blew across the barren landscape and raindrops fell for the first time in three years and this was no light drizzle. It was a terrific rainstorm. The text says it was a great rain. In fact, it's so great that the reason Elijah is able to pass Ahab on the way down to Jezreel is probably because the chariot wheels are getting stuck in the mud and he's able to run past him, if I were looking into the text a little closer. It's so easy to give up on dreams and give up on miracles and give up on promises. We lose heart and we lose patience and we lose faith and like a slow leak, it often happens without us even knowing it until our prayer life gets absolutely flat. Isn't that what happened with Sarah and Abraham? I mean, think about it. They had long since given up on ever having a child of their own. They had stopped circling it, but God's timetable is not always ours. And after spending time with God, they dared to believe that it just might be possible. And at 90 years old, Sarah holds a baby boy. Is there a dream in you that God wants to resurrect? Is there some promise that you need to reclaim? Is there some miracle you need to start believing again? And the reason that many of us give up too soon is because we feel like, feel like we have failed God if He doesn't answer our prayer. That isn't failure. The only way we can fail is if we stop praying. And I can't help but wonder if Honai, the circle maker, was inspired by the story of Elijah praying for rain seven times. I wonder if Israel's original rainmaker was, was his childhood hero. I don't know. 
And I wonder if his persistence in prayer was linked to this miracle. Maybe he thought, if God did it for Elijah, he can do it for me. And by the same token, I can't help but wonder if Elijah's persistence in prayer maybe was hyperlinked to the, to the miracle of raining quail that we talked about last, last time. Because if God can send a quail storm, he can certainly send a thunderstorm. One thing is, one thing is certain. Our most powerful prayers are tied to the promises of God. And so when you know that you are praying the promises of God, I want you to hear me say today, you can pray with holy confidence. It's the difference between praying on thin ice and praying on solid ground. It's the difference between praying tentatively and praying tenaciously. You don't have to second-guess yourself because you know that God wants you to double-click on His promises. How often do we second-guess ourselves? And I'm probably the king of that. There's an old adage that I really don't like. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I think that's faulty theology. God said it, that settles it. It doesn't matter if I believe it or not. That's how it should read. But I want to kind of put a fresh take on that old truth. How about... God said it, I've circled it, and that settles it. You see, it was settled on the cross when Jesus said, it is finished. It wasn't just the final installment on our sin debt, it was the down payment on all of His promises. Listen to this, I want you to go with me, I don't want you to miss this. There's Bibles in the pews, I want you to see with me 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I don't want you to miss verses 18 through 22 with me. And I want you, as we're reading, to focus especially on verse 20. Listen, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. And surely, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. This is Paul speaking. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Salvanius and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Jesus is the answer to every single promise. What I'm about to share with you, I believe, has the power to revolutionize the way you pray and the way that you read the Bible. We often view prayer and Scripture reading as two distinct spiritual disciplines without much overlap. But I've been thinking a lot, what, what, if, what if those things are actually meant to overlap? Prayer and Scripture reading. What, what if reading became a form of praying and praying became a form of reading? Have you ever considered that? Maybe, maybe one of the primary reasons we don't pray through is because we just run out of things to say. Have you, ever, have you ever thought about that? And our lack of persistence is really a lack of conversation pieces. And so like an awkward conversation, we don't know what to say. Or like a conversation on its last leg, we just run out of things to talk about. And that's when our prayers turn into a bunch of overused and misapplied cliches. So instead of praying about how to Instead of praying hard about a big dream, we're left with small talk. Our prayers can become as meaningless as a conversation about the weather. What's the solution? I believe the solution is to pray through the Bible. 
You see, it starts with changing the way we read the Bible. In fact, the Bible wasn't meant to be read through. The Bible was meant to be prayed through. And if you pray through it, you will never run out of promises to circle. You'll never have to run out of things to speak to God. You'll never run out of any of that. So what promises do you need to circle in your life? The Bible is a promise book. And it is a prayer book. And while reading is reactive, prayer is proactive. So I want you to hear this. Reading is the way you get through the Bible. Prayer is the way you get the Bible through you. It's very difficult to predict what and when and where and how, but over time, the promises of God can become your promises. And then you just need to circle those promises both figuratively and literally. So I'm starting to never read without a pen so that I can underline and asterisk and circle. i got like 18 colors that I do different things with. And I'm starting to circle the promises in my Bible. And I'm starting to do the same figuratively by circling those same promises in prayer. And I want to invite you to do the same. Persistence. I hope that you'll be able to pray through. I hope you'll be able to pray through. Right now, we're going to sing a song. If you need prayers from this church, if there is something that we can do to help you in your walk with God, we certainly want to do that. We want to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and we want to reach out to you in any way that we can. So, uh, at at this time, if if you are willing, I'm going to ask you to stand and come forward if you need help, and uh, turn it over to Ed.